I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and a very warm welcome to everybody. I am Shrija Agrawal and welcome to this new show about entrepreneur stories. With me is a very seasoned entrepreneur today, Alok Mittal. Alok, thank you for talking to us. Alok is somebody who really sort of set up jobsahead.com in 1999. Then he went on to sort of lead Canaan VC India portfolio. And now he has started this company called Indifeed Technology, essentially is about SME financing. Alok, SME financing is not necessarily a novice idea per se. A lot of traditional non-banking finance companies also doing this. And now you are doing this, you know, having a layer of technology over it. Secondly, what is it which you bring to the table which traditionals and BFCs don't really do? Uh, so first, Shija, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you know, we started thinking about this business about five years back. Uh, you know, I don't come from a lending background. Uh, my co-founder Siddharth does. And really one of the first questions that we asked ourselves was, uh, you know, why are small businesses underserved for credit? Uh, unlike the Western markets, uh, you know, banks in India are uh, well capitalized. People there are extremely smart and hungry. Right? And in spite of that, um, 85% of Indian small businesses can't get a secured credit. So the root cause of this was really the driver. And what we uh, found out was that a lot of small business lending was being done in a one-size-fits-all manner. So the same product, the loan against property, was being offered to all the small businesses. And what was worse was that, relatively speaking, the same credit assessment criteria were being applied to everyone. And when that happens, uh, you know, there is diversion of funds. Uh, which means there are more bad loans and many of the small businesses will not pass that generic set of criteria and hence there's a lot of uh, credit turned out uh, that happens. Mm-hmm. So really the core of our business is to verticalize small business lending, right? We think that a manufacturing company has different uh, need for credit um, relative to let's say a restaurant, but it also has different risk factors on an operating basis. And so what we do is we go into these verticals, uh, we create the right products, basis use cases for credit, and we identify what are the business risks that this industry faces, and we assess those business risks alongside assessing the financials. You know, we have the IMFS crisis, which really sort of unraveled and told you a lot about the internal challenges that NBFC is going through. And then you have this external dynamic of China fintech industry going kaput. What are you making sure that perhaps you are not there? A couple of things that we do uh, is, uh, you know, one, designing the product right and having the underwriting right. A lot of the stress uh, also, especially in the Chinese market, has been on account of a relatively unregulated industry and very high growth in the credit business. Right. Uh, those are not necessarily the same characteristics um, in the Indian market. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that experience is as transferable as it may seem to be. 
And then one has to remember that in the Chinese market, uh, certain other pieces of lending, like ecosystem-based lending, are doing extremely well even in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's a question of you know what pace of growth and what uh, sensitivity to risk has been demonstrated in the past, and then what is your specific business model. Uh, our experience in the Indian market also has been that ecosystem-based lending, which accounts for about 75% of our business, uh, has been far more robust uh, than open market lending. So what do you mean by this ecosystem-based lending yeah. when you say that? You know, uh, if, you, if you roll back uh, 500 years, right, lending wasn't being done by bank. Lending was being done by supply chains, right? Uh, a wholesaler sells me certain items, they give me credit for 15 days against that item. Or it was being done by money lenders. And in both cases, the quality of information that was available to lenders was very, very high. Yeah. Right. Um, in the past 20 years, uh, we have aggravated this issue of information asymmetry because relationship banking right, has subsided and now this all transaction banking that is going on, you know, branch managers actually don't sit in the same branch for a long time by design, right? And those are some sources of information asymmetry. We think that that is a movement in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. right? We think that ecosystems, places where businesses transact is the best place to get information and there there is no asymmetry. Uh, so, for example, for a wholesaler who's selling to a retailer, right, they have far better information on that retailer yeah. right, than an external lender has. So, what we are doing is, in the verticals that we have chosen, uh, we are going to market through these ecosystems. So, when we lend to a restaurant, right, we partner with large food delivery platforms to be able to take our product there. right, And we rely on the data that these food delivery platforms have to not just assess credit, but also monitor credit during its life cycle. Similarly, when we are going to lend to travel agencies, right, we have partnerships with airlines and travel aggregators, which gives us a continuous pipe of information into how much is the travel agency consuming, and hence any volatility in their business is something that comes to us in near real time. So we are using a lot of the supply chain oriented information uh, to both lend initially and then to monitor the loan during its life cycle. You know, credit history in this country is not necessarily something which is deep. Yeah. You're saying that you could also do unsecured loan. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a dangerous territory to be in? What are they doing right? Yeah, you know, we think of technology as an enabler and we would like to actually learn from all the NBFCs that have done unsecured lending well or have not been able to do it well. So we, we derive a lot of uh, learnings from our peers. We don't think it is tech versus traditional NBFC. You know, with that frame, I think one good news is that the great Bureau penetration in the country has been rising rapidly. Now, we see a lot of customers who come to us without having a prior unsecured business loan, but they might have taken a gold loan somewhere, they might have taken a two-wheeler loan somewhere. So there is some precedence right, to their repayment track record. And there is some awareness of formal credit behavior on part of those customers, both of which are infrastructure that we are riding on top of. Because we have availability of alternate information, there are cases where we don't necessarily need the credit bureau information, but we substitute it with this alternate information. Right? For example, a travel agency may not have credit bureau footprint, but we get their payment footprint from their suppliers. And hence we know whether they pay their suppliers on time or not. Right? That is a strong signal in cases where the credit bureau footprint may not be available. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think expanding credit access always means going beyond the bureau footprint. It is a matter of risk management of how much of your portfolio do you want to be uh, in the new to credit domain. Uh, I would not contest that we do a majority of our loans in new to credit, but a large part of our business comes in where there is some small credit footprint earlier, and now we can really enable them to get 
larger business credit, which is then income generating rather than consumptive. Okay, so how do you make money? Tell us a little about your business model in terms of the economics of your lending there. So, uh, you know, since we go after customer segments who are not very well served, and since we design new products and new credit criteria, you know, traditional banks and NBFCs are unlikely to support our business at the starting point. So we do have an NBFC of our own where we go in and we essentially test our hypothesis. So if I want to go and lend to restaurants, um, I don't want to go and convince a bank on day one, right? Because they have a negative bias on their industry. So we go and we do these experiments on our own balance sheet, right? We create partnerships, we create data footprint. Uh, we run it on our own balance sheet for at least a year. And if we then think that this is working, that is when we take that data to banks and NBFCs to say you can lend to the same platform, uh, to the same vertical using our platform, right? So we have this model where we use our own NBFC as a place to stand, you know, and then we use banks and NBFCs as the lever to move the earth, right? Uh, That's interesting. So in terms of, you know, if you, it's typically like incubating then, you know, business to getting Incubating them a business segment, you know, lending to travel agencies is working with a thousand yeah. customers. Yeah. Then it's not just that in the next cycle, I'll pass those thousand customers to someone else, but even the you know next 2000 customers who come in now can be taken up directly by a bank or NBFC because the underlying model uh, has evidence behind it, mm -hmm. right? So in line with that, we have uh, two business models. Uh, one is just like a standard NBFC, you know, on the business that we do on our own books, uh, we earn interest income, we have cost of capital, uh, we own the risk, but uh, our strategic goal is to do more and more of marketplace business where we essentially are a service provider to a bank or NBFC, we earn a fee income. Uh, most of the risk there is owned by the bank or the NBFC. Uh, so in that sense, we are able to run a relatively asset-like model. You mentioned that you own an NBFC. For any NBFC of any kind, whether it is traditional or having the technology layer like yours, you know, capital is the raw material mm -hmm. to run this. The kind of environment that we are into right now, where actually NBFC has become a bad word, so to speak, and we know the reasons there, you know, and I think, uh, how are you dealing with this in terms of raising capital and give us some sense of your conversation with investors, you know, how tough it is for you to run this business right now? Yeah. Uh, so over the last 10 months or so, the fundraising environment has certainly gotten much worse. Some of the issues that came out were specifically on account of asset liability mismatches. You know, we do fairly short term loans. Our average loan duration is 15 months, 16 months. So. You know, we don't today uh, encounter that specific risk, but at the same time, the general bar for the industry has gone up and there is more diligence around uh, underwriting mechanisms, uh, ability to collect, uh, ability to monitor an account, uh, concentration exposures. Uh, so there is certainly a higher bar for raising debt today and, you know, like any other NBFC out there. I think the uh, fortuitous part for us has been that the marketplace business in some sense has picked up the slack on the NBFC side because that is a business that lenders see as their dead business. They don't see it as a wholesale business, right? Even though they're lending through our platform. And what has happened over the past 10 months is lenders have prioritized direct lending over wholesale lending, mm. right? So we've been able to kind of weather this storm a little bit better because we have the marketplace side, which uh, has different dynamics to it than our NBFC business, which relies on wholesale funding, you know, differentiated business. So how big a business are you in terms of numbers right now? So as I mentioned, we've got about 15,000 customers. But in terms uh, of the loan book, if you can give us some size for that. So we are roughly about 300 crores under management, mm -hmm. uh, which is equally split between our balance sheet and the marketplace. What are the key challenges that you're facing when you're running this business? Because I also see a lot of other fintechs, so to speak, mm -hmm. I'm not sure you like the word or not, uh, they think 
large amounts of money sure. and when we speak to them on a very very fast clip of course not that you are not into this but do you see that challenges and is it is it by design that you say that no i want to go at this pace and will have my hold on profits you know i don't think the calibration of growth is so much linked to profitability objectives but it is certainly linked to having a healthy credit performance and so we will continue to grow you know at this measured pace of two and a half three times a year mm-hmm. uh, as long as we can maintain the credit performance uh, behind it uh, the amount of capital being raised is largely a function of the business model right uh, so if we were a pure nbfc business we would have required a lot more capital uh, which we are able to uh, you know defer because of our marketplace construct right so one way to look at our 50-50 split between nbfc and marketplace is that we are in a position to build the same business for about half the capital talking a little about expansion plans where do you go from here to give us sort of some bit of uh, runway there yeah fair bit of expansion over the next 3 4 years will come from what we are doing today uh we also think that uh you know going back to our supply chain thesis that having more points of contact with the customer uh is valuable in driving value back to lending right mm-hmm. so we are thinking about which of those points of contact are available through our ecosystem partners which we would then go and partner on but ourselves creating more engagement opportunities more value and more service uh for our customers so we don't want to you know constrain ourselves to the box of a lending business but we are willing to step outside of that uh to explore higher engagement um uh, activities uh with our customers within the nbfc bracket you know i just got back from fellowship from london and there's so much talk about fintech yeah. there and names like revolut or monzo perhaps pop up in every conversation sure. that i was part of and this entire concept of challenger bank which yeah. really have become so big there you know i used to seeing yourself getting into that direction what really is your ultimate aim there because one can sense yeah. that you know no so challenger bank is a relatively broad term different people mean very different things by it you know there is a top down notion of a challenger bank right of setting up a new bank now for various uh, issues that are both linked to where is the gap in the indian market mm-hmm. and the dynamics of actually setting up a bank yeah uh, you know the solutions that have worked in the european market may not apply to the indian market True. we tend to take a more bottom up use case approach to it of saying okay you know if i had to offer one more service that normally you would expect a bank to offer right what is that service where i really see a gap mm-hmm. uh, so we are less top down driven in our uh, analysis of challenger banking and we are more bottom up driven in terms of saying you know does my travel agency customer need a settlement service and if so should i just focus on providing a settlement service and partner with uh, existing players when i was there there was so much also talk about being so impressed with what india has done on uh-huh. india stack for instance and you know what we done with upi and kyc how do these innovation what government is doing sort of feed into what you are doing so it's it's a big piece right so because if you start to look at this you know remote model uh, of delivery then all the payment system innovations that are coming out there become extremely critical to it right if you start to think about uh, even small issues like kyc the india stack innovation has driven that uh, revolution even though right now there are some regulatory constraints around what you can or cannot do with it if you look at uh, data generation right for for electronic underwriting then the bureau footprint and the gst innovations uh, you know clearly have driven creation of electronic data so certainly a lot of uh, us are riding on top of innovations that are happening both in the public sphere yeah uh, but also amongst private players one of the questions i ask you know myself and any other company uh, that i'm looking to invest in 
is why wasn't your business possible five years back? This uh, discussion on timing has to do with what has happened in the past five yeah. years. So if I look at our own business, the whole ecosystem based approach, you could not have done it in 2010 because these ecosystems weren't strong business, enough. Yeah. Now, if you were to sort of wear your VC hat for a mm -hmm. while and mm -hmm. you're a successful one at that, and I know this, uh, you know, the kind of events that you're seeing in the VC world right now, this unicorn obsession, so to say, what is your sense? Give us some sense there on how you sort of think about this entire yeah. scenario. You know, I think I think the, the unicorn obsession is happening because uh, there is merit to that. What is that thesis? That thesis is that overcapitalizing a company uh, helps in driving market adoption and helps in reducing competitive risk, right? And you know, I can't argue with that. That is exactly what happens if you are seeing a winner-takes-all market which has market adoption constraints. Uh, so I get that. I think the what it does is it places a choice on part of the entrepreneurs, right? of, you know, do they want to pursue that path? And if they want to pursue, uh, then just like other elements of the business, right? Customer value proposition, differentiation, quality of execution, uh, ability to raise capital at that scale becomes a key qualifier. So I think entrepreneurs have to think about, you know, is that the model that they feel comfortable with? Can they go home and sleep every day with that model or not, right? And there are some entrepreneurs, great entrepreneurs who have come out and said, yes, that's what we want to do, right? But there is also a class of, Second set of entrepreneurs <laughs> and younger ones, uh, you know, who are making the, a different choice, right? Um, you know, they're saying, no, I believe that, you know, that is not the pace and risk at which I want to drive my company, right? And I'm indexing my risk reward ratio somewhere else. The only thing to keep in mind is if you are in that mode, then you don't want to compete in a market that is unicorn friendly. Then there is a third class of entrepreneurs saying, yes, I'm going to be a unicorn, but what's the rush, <laughs> right? They're a unicorn, right? But they've taken 10 years to get there. They've built a solid business. So it's not that chasing the unicorn dream just means, uh, you know, early overcapitalization. It's also about persistence. As I said earlier, nothing gets built, gets built in India in less than 10 years. And guess what? You know, I think there is a very healthy third bunch of entrepreneurs who are saying, I'll bootstrap my company, right? And some of those have created great businesses. So I think... Uh, I see this unicorn uh, obsession or the unicorn opportunity in context of choices that entrepreneurs have to make, right? And choose what is their zone of comfort uh, and how do they want to get to creating an impactful business. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.